Hey everyone, this is Jamie Bateman. Real quickly, I wanted to share with you something uh, that's been pivotal in the growth and success of my businesses, and that is my partnership with Haven Financial Services. Um, I've been working with Haven for over a year now. Christine Valdez was on episode 70 of this podcast. So go check that out if you want to hear her story. It was a fantastic personal story for sure. But Haven has been awesome. They provide me with monthly reports that are super clear and discernible. And it, that provides me with clarity and focus so that I can do what I do best, which is running my businesses, not preparing financial reports. Um, again, if you're in the market for a top-notch financial service company, uh, or if you just want to check one out, go to www.jamiebateman slash Haven and check out Haven Financial Services. Again, that's jamiebateman slash Haven. I uh, can't recommend them enough. Christine and her team have been fantastic. So I definitely recommend you check out Haven Financial Services at www.jamiebateman forward slash Haven. Let's get back to the show. This episode is a little bit different than many of the other episodes we've had. We have on Greg Martin, the bipolar general. Um, Greg is a retired two-star general uh, from the Army and had, I think, a 30-year career in the Army um, and has dealt with debilitating mental health challenges, uh, which I think is very relevant, very real for you know many of us, especially in, in the entrepreneurial space. Um, he mentioned that I think it was 20% of people are currently dealing with themselves a mental health disorder and 80% of the population is dealing with at least their own mental health disorder or a family member who has something. So um, he gets pretty specific about a lot of the struggles that he went through. He spent essentially 10 years being misdiagnosed or undiagnosed and he has type one bipolar disorder. And um, we dive into how his mania actually helped him uh, professionally and how he was uh, really a hard charging uh, army officer and was just crushing it professionally. And and then how things really went, went south for him. And we get very real on this one, for sure. Um, he's a West Point grad, Army Ranger School grad, uh, has a PhD, and obviously now is an expert in dealing with mental health. Um, he talks about his five P's that he's come up with. We're not, I'm not going to go through those right now, but the five critical uh, principles that he uses to get through and that all of us need to get through any type of adversity, really, but specifically mental health challenges. This is uh this is like I said, it's 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 very real and I'll be honest, it's it's I dive a little bit into how we've been dealing with something at home with regard to mental health challenges. So um this episode is one that I've been I've been looking forward to chatting with Greg and I appreciate him coming on. He's got a, a book out called Bipolar General, My Forever War with Mental Illness, and I actually just ordered it myself. So um this one is extremely informative, and it actually presents a good bit of hope if you listen. Um, it's not all it's not all rainbow rainbows and unicorns and butterflies, but there's still hope. Uh, so you're not going to want to miss this episode. 
Welcome to the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. Are you an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur? Then this show is for you. Each week, we bring you impactful stories of real people who have overcome painful human adversity to create a life of abundance. You are not alone in your struggle. Join us and you will experience the power of true stories and gain practical knowledge from founders who have turned poverty into prosperity and weakness into wealth. This podcast will encourage you through your health, relationship, and financial challenges so you can become the hero in your quest for freedom. Take ownership of the life you are destined to live. Turn your adversity into abundance. All right, here's the deal. You work hard for your money. Isn't it about time you put your money to work for you? If you are an accredited investor, check out labradorlending.com. Our Integrity Income Fund provides monthly cash flow from an investment backed by hard physical real estate. Our income fund, which is uncorrelated to publicly traded stocks and bonds, invests in first lien mortgage notes diversified by geography, property value, and borrower type. So you're not investing in one project. You're investing in a diversified portfolio of first lien mortgage notes. Our integrity income fund aims to pay its investors monthly distributions at a preferred rate of return of 8% annually. Possibly the best part though, the fund showcases a short 12-month commitment. So you can invest your capital today and have access to that capital in one year. Check it out today, labradorlending.com. Welcome everybody to another episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Bateman, and I am pumped today to have with us General Greg Martin, uh, AKA the bipolar general, Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jamie. Absolutely. I, I've been really looking forward to this, this episode. Um, it's a, for, for multiple reasons. Um, we've got the, the, the army, uh, background in, in, uh, that we share, uh, you, you uh, did a couple more years in the army than I did <laughs> that that's a joke, maybe a couple more two or three more decades. But um, so I know you have a very storied career in the army, which I'm excited to chat a little bit about. Um, and obviously you, 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 uh, since we already mentioned um, a little bit, we're going to focus some on uh, a lot on your, on the, your background as far as your mental health and um, which is something I've really been wanting to talk about a lot more on this, on this show. Um just mental health in general, mental health uh, for entrepreneurs specifically. Um, it is such a such an important topic, and unfortunately, in in our own home, we've had had some some real serious issues recently. And so, I won't go into too much detail on that, um, at least not on this episode. But it's like I said, unfortunately, has kind of come front and center for our family. And um, this year specifically, so uh, selfishly, unselfishly, whatever you want to say, it, it's something that I'm very much interested in more so than I was a year ago. And it's amazing how how little we actually know about about the, the whole topic. But um, I imagine you're 
compared to me, quite an expert on it. So I can't wait to dive in. So I appreciate you being vulnerable and willing to to put your your story out out there like you are. I know you have the book coming out, um, which we're going to talk about. So, Greg, I'll stop rambling. Uh, who are who are you, and what are you up to today? So I am uh, Greg Martin, uh, PhD, retired two-star general from the Army. Uh, I have a bipolar brain. I've lived on the bipolar spectrum pretty much my whole life, even though the real official onset wasn't until 2003 in Iraq. Um, I had decades of terrifically successful service. I then went through a mental health bipolar crisis. Uh, I, I... began my recovery journey seven years ago, and um, I've basically rebuilt my life. And my new life mission uh, over this past seven years has become sharing my bipolar story to help stop the stigma, promote recovery, and save lives. And so that's what I do. I do it through uh, writing. Um, Jamie just mentioned I've got a, a new book that's coming out. So I do it through writing. I've published about 25 articles. Um, I've given probably close to 100 talks and presentations and interviews and podcasts. And I confer with lots of different people on the subject of mental health, resiliency, bipolar disorder. So that's what I do. And that's who I am. No, I appreciate that. And, And the book is called Bipolar General, My Forever War with Mental Illness. Um. And I guess it's in collaboration with the Association of the, the U.S. Army. Um, we'll get into the book a little bit more later for sure. And before we jump into your your backstory with regard to, you know, primarily the adversity that you've faced on the mental health side, can you share from a, a you know military background standpoint a couple of the highlights from your military career for us? Yeah. Um, well, first off, I, I started my career going to West Point and was graduated near the top of my class. Gra- Once I got out, I went. I graduated from Army Ranger School, and then I went to Germany as a platoon leader in charge of about 30 soldiers. And my branch was engineers, so I had we did combat engineer missions. And then I loved it. I loved leading soldiers, taking care of them, working with them. Loved the mission, exciting, dangerous, important. And then I went on to become a company commander. And then along the way, I ran seven marathons in under three hours. Um, and wow. then the Army sent me to grad school where I got two masters and a PhD, which, you know, that work level and creativity level was reflective of a bipolar brain. You know, I had a low mm. level of mania, which they call hyperthymia, mm. which gave me uh, an, a near continuous level of low mania, resulting in excess energy, drive, enthusiasm, problem solving skills. Uh, from there, I just kept serving in the army. They, you know, each time I had a chance to get out and go do something else, um, the army would give me a great assignment, schooling, something I really wanted to do. So before you know it, I had over 30 years in the army. And um, the highlight of that time, uh, you know, I got all top ratings, (coughs) also got married, three kids. But um, the highlight was the Iraq war where I was a brigade commander in charge of thousands of combat engineer troops. Um, We deployed from Germany to Kuwait, attacked onto Baghdad, and then spent a year fighting 
fighting a, really a guerrilla warfare inside of Iraq. So that was really the highlight of my career. I did mm-hmm. seven different jobs as a general officer, culminating in being the president of National Defense University. Wow, that's uh, there's a lot. Uh, that's that's uh, thank you know thank you for your service, of course, and that, and that is quite a bit of uh, impressive service for sure. So you were in Iraq in 2003 to 2004. Is that what? Yes, when it was. Gotcha. Got it. Yeah. I, I was there from 2005 to 2006 and um you know not that any of it is really funny per se but I joke that it, it, things started to get worse when our team left in mid 2006 um and that you know you do the math on why things got worse no I'm, I'm kidding but um yeah absolutely certainly a guerrilla warfare very uh, asymmetrical and didn't necessarily go with <laughs> the way we'd hoped uh you know it certainly wasn't an easy easy uh undertaking for sure very complicated but um thank you for your service so um let's jump back into your backstory even more and and on more on the personal and mental health side um where do you want to start i know you said the last 7 years have kind of have been a different almost a different phase of your life and a new mission um so I imagine we want to start before that uh where would you like to start um how about just start as a teenager and I'll I'll kind of go quickly Perfect. through the early years. Yeah. So, like I said earlier, I have had a bipolar brain, meaning that the genetic predisposition for bipolar disorder resided in my the wiring of my brain probably since teenage years on. Looking back with expert psychiatrists, we believe now that I had this condition called hyperthymia, which is a mood type, which is very enthusiastic, very energetic, and so forth. And that gave me an added boost and enhanced my natural talents and performance all the way from teenage years, you know, through high school, West Point, through the Army. And it was a benefit. It helped me mm. until it went too high. And mm. the point at which it went too high was during the Iraq War, the you know the intense uh, thrill, euphoria, stress, trauma mm-hmm. of that experience triggered unknowingly um, my bipolar disorder, which again I had a genetic predisposition for. Mm-hmm. So in two thousand three, I went into mania, but it was a high functioning, um, not extremely high level of mania. And I felt like Superman. My performance went up. I was I felt better than I had ever felt in my life. And that went on for the whole year in Iraq. But when I came home to Germany, I fell into depression and was mm-hmm. in depression for almost a year. And um, and that was all in 2003-2004. All over the next from 2003, which was onset of bipolar disorder through 2014, where it went really acute. Um, My bipolar disorder was unknown, undetected, unrecognized, undiagnosed. But I started going into higher highs of mania, lower lows of depression. And the the cycle kept getting higher and lower, higher and lower, until by 2014, I went into full-blown mania, where I essentially lost my mind and went into a state of madness. 
At that point, my boss, who was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff when I was the president of National Defense University, made the decision he needed to pull me out of the presidency of the school, both for the good of the school and my own personal health. So he he did. I actually got a, um, a call on a Friday afternoon, and it said, report to the chairman's office on Monday morning at 10 o'clock. And I didn't know, because I was so manic, I didn't know if I was going to get promoted or fired. Um, mm-hmm. I did know there had been a lot of, um, uh, uh, you know, sort of anonymous complaints against me saying that my behavior mm-hmm. and my judgment were over the top, out of control, reckless, and beginning to hurt the university. And a lot mm-hmm. of people had lost confidence in me. So when I went in to see the chairman, the first person I saw was the lawyer. I said, whoa, no promotion today because you know, <laughs> the lawyer's in his office. That's a bad sign. And sure. uh, and the chairman uh, came across the room, gave me a big hug, said, Greg, I love you like a brother. I give you an A plus for your work at NDU, but your time is over. You have until 5 p.m. today to resign or I'll fire you. And so I resigned that day because it's much better to resign on your own than to actually get relieved or fired, which can have all kinds of negative implications. And then he said, and oh, by the way, I'm ordering you to go get a mental health exam at Walter Reed. Hmm. And so I did. I got the I got the medical exam that week. And the doctor said, you're fit for duty. There's nothing wrong with you. You're you're in great health. But they were completely wrong. And there's a number of reasons they they got it so wrong. Uh, number one, they didn't cross check with between the medical people and my chain of command. They didn't communicate and share information because if they yeah. had a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, would have been fairly easy. Yeah. Um, the the second reason is that success in any job masks the underlying condition of bipolar disorder. Mm. So because I was a two-star general, because I had been so successful, that masked the fact that I was mentally ill. And so that was, um, so they got it wrong. And mm-hmm. then when they gave that clean bill of health, my chain of command said, we don't believe it. Let's do a redo. So I did mm. two more redos and but all of them came back saying you're perfectly healthy. And by the way, during the previous um, 10 years, Mm -hmm. I had gone in three different times for depression, Mm. which is much easier to detect and spot and diagnose. Three times I went in for depression and they said, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. But Mm. they were wrong on those three times as well, because the depression was the low end of my bipolar cycle. Mm -hmm. So... So and these okay. were all, I'm sorry, um, these were all military doctors. I, I'm not trying to put the military doctors down, but that, that's who um, you were seeing. Or, all military, one was uniformed, two were uh, civilians. Gotcha. Yeah, I just, um, and again, this we won't make this episode about me or my family, but I, uh, it, on some level, we all know that the the. So certainly the civilian uh, medical health, uh, men, uh, medical community, I should say, is very much uh, disjointed and 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 there's just a really poor communication among different departments, even in one hospital, let alone multiple hospitals or or like you said, your your uh, professional occupation and that that organization 
talking to the doctors and vice versa. Um, such a lack of communication. And and uh, <laughs> uh, I, I can just say from firsthand experience recently, it, it's just been very obvious that the, um, unfortunately the patient is the one more times than not who's kind of left um, with that responsibility of kind of connecting the dots, if you will. And if you're going through a mental, mental health, if, if you have that underlying condition and you're going through a major mental health crisis, how are you supposed to be able to, to make those connections? But, um, okay. So, so 2014, so basically three times, um, essentially at least six times you'd been told that you're, you were fine mentally. There was no issue. Is that right? Yes. Gotcha. And then, so you, do you go back? What What do you do then? You can't, you've already resigned. So professionally, what are your next steps? Um, so I was forced to resign earlier than I had planned. Mm-hmm. And they put me back from the joint staff into the army. And I was given a kind of a soft landing job with the Army Corps of Engineers, which is pretty typical for when when general officers get fired. Um, they are mm-hmm. either there, they retire immediately within 30 days, or they're often given a choice of taking a kind of a landing job that they can then get ready to retire, do all their medical stuff, get all the logistics squared away, you know, try to plan for their housing and so forth. So I got a job like that with the Corps of Engineers. Um, and it was good. I did some pretty good work there. But what happened was, from July of 2014, when I got removed from command, I spiraled downward. And by November, I had fallen and crashed into hopeless, dark, deep, crippling depression with terrifying psychosis. And so I went back into the doctors and said, hey, there's really something wrong with me. And at that point, they were able to diagnose me with bipolar disorder. And from that point on, I was incapable of working or doing pretty much anything. They tried a bunch of different medications. None of them worked. They just made me sleepy. I I retired a few months later, moved up to New Hampshire, where we had a home, and went from bad to worse. Uh, by the way, there was no continuity of care. So the the military medical system just basically dumped me into the civilian world. And I was in such a bad mental state. I had no ability to navigate the medical system. And my wife was trying to move. So it was, it was pretty bad. And um, I got I would say I got worse over the next year, year and a half. And I spent about two years in bipolar hell where I could barely function, terrifying psychosis, which I can talk about, which led to suicidal ideations, um, and then the depression so crippling I could you know barely do anything. Ultimately, got hospitalized in the VA and spent um, two weeks in the inpatient psych ward, and then four more weeks living in the VA hospital in a dorm room, and. Uh, and the, the VA did, I think, did a very good job, but they they still didn't really get me on the path of recovery. That didn't yeah. happen until um, about six months later when I was prescribed lithium, which mm-hmm. was the miracle cure for me. Mm. I basically, and it was um, seven years ago, I went from terrible depression, the depression vanished in about three days, um, terrible psychosis, it vanished. And I never went back into mania. So the lithium 
was really my saving grace. Mm. And we moved to Florida for the bright, warm sunshine. Mm, And then that really began my journey of recovery, which I've now been on for seven years. That's fantastic. I, well, the recovery and sunshine is fantastic. Uh, It's not fantastic that you've had to go through all of this, but um, yes, my, we, I I can relate uh, with, with a good bit of that. Not, not saying I've personally been through what you've been through, but um, you know, close family members spent a lot of two different iterations in, in the two different uh, psych facilities in inpatient this year and you're you're dealing with the emergency you know department for a week until a bed opens up an inpatient bed opens up and then you're absolutely right that you think well you know we're thinking okay the goal is to get this person healthy again really it's just the beginning and and really the goal in the inpatient facility at least from my experience is just to get things kind of stabilized right and so less of an emergency slash you know um make make sure everybody's safe right um but there's not a whole lot of recovery going on there and it's interesting you you mentioned the sunshine though because we had two different experiences one in a hospital that was uh, very little sunshine, very few windows, and it was just depressing to even be in there, right? And so how is this person going to recover in this facility that's depressing to be in? Uh, the second iteration, we were actually in, in more of a sun-filled environment, and um, there was a lot more progress made. So that's that, and that's you know I've I've been learning a lot more about this stuff this year uh, personally, and, and I'd love for you to correct me where I'm wrong or chime in. Personally, I'm I'm coming to understand that everything is connected, and and meaning physical health, mental health, um, even spiritual health, it's all connected. Uh, there's a book I read; it's called Brain Energy. It's from a Harvard MD. Um, his thesis, he didn't come up with this, but the the thesis that he's presenting or, or putting out there is that it's all all comes down to mitochondria. And on some level, it's a mitochondrial dysfunction, whether we're talking about bipolar disorder or diabetes, it all comes down to the mitochondria. And so somewhere in there, it's all it's all connected. So we've been taking a very, I guess, holistic approach, uh, like it sounds like you have been with regard to medication and all of the things that everyone needs sunshine good diet exercise like whether you have a diagnosed mental condition or not we all need that and so um but that's that's fantastic what what else um i mean through the 7 years I and mean, first off the 10 years prior just sound sounds i mean it just sounds awful and i'm i'm very sorry you had to go through that 10 years is is no joke but um from the 7 years during your recovery i guess what what are some of the main lessons that you've learned yeah that's a great question um first off you have to get your brain chemistry balanced in in the correct um formula and the way that worked for me is through medication um i know mm-hmm. some people use you know, natural herbal supplements and that kind of thing. If it works mm-hmm. for you, great. 
Um, it, you know, it didn't work for me, but these medications work. So lithium was the key supplemental by, supplemented by lamotrigine and lorazidone. So that has worked to stabilize my brain chemistry. So that's number one. Number two, I think therapy is critical because a trained therapist can help you think through these vexing problems and complexities you're dealing with in your life and help you to find new ways of thinking about how to deal with issues and challenges and problems. Uh, third, which you mentioned, is healthy living, you know, which we all know we all need that. So it's mm-hmm. a good diet, exercise, plenty of sleep, low stress, plenty of water, all those tenets of healthy living. And those mm-hmm. items that I just mentioned are necessary, but they're not sufficient for recovery. Mm-hmm. So to really recover, you have to take those attributes I just spoke of and anchor them into what I call the five P's, the foundation mm-hmm. of the five P's, which are first people. You know, surround yourself with a, mm-hmm. a network in a circle of fun, happy, energetic friends. Yeah. Second, you have to have a purpose for your life. You have to have a mission that you want to get up every day and pursue and and work on. And, you know, I already talked about my mission, which is sharing my bipolar story. Um, Thirdly, you want to live in a place that's healthy for you. So if you love the mountains and you love to be in, in the snow and ski, move somewhere where you'll be, you'll have that. Um, if you love the big city life where you can, you know, walk to the, you know, all those little stores, you know, live mm-hmm. there. For me, mm-hmm. we figured it out through research that, and also our background, that we really like the sunshine, the warmth, palm mm-hmm. trees, brightness. And so mm-hmm. we moved to Florida and it was a great decision. It's very healthy for me. And my yeah. wife loves it too. Mm-hmm. Number four on the P's is perseverance. You have to persevere. You cannot give up. And, you know, as you recover from mental health challenges or other challenges, you're Mm going to hit bumps in the road where your plan doesn't go as you expected. So you have to keep fighting. You have to pick yourself up. If you get knocked back one step, then get up and go two steps forward. Mm -hmm. And then fourth is what I call presence. And what mm. presence means is the ability to think about your own thinking. A fancy name for that is metacognition. Mm. Um, so all it means is we all think certain ways and we have certain thoughts that are oftentimes wrong. They're often not correct. So how do you get out of your own head, examine your thinking objectively, and then move forward in a, in a more positive healthy way. Mm. Uh, Just a quick example. Um, You know, when I was really sick, I had terrible paranoid delusions that people were out Mm. to get me. They wanted Mm. to get me fired, put in jail, murdered, all this Mm. really bad stuff. Um, And so sometimes I'll get little seedlings of those paranoid delusions, even today. Mm. But I'm able to step outside my own mind and say, wait a minute, it's not true. Mm -hmm. Those people are not plotting against me. In fact, they're not even thinking about me at all. They're thinking (laughs) about something totally else. And so that's how presence can help you. So those Mm. are the main, main lessons learned. 
Yeah, that's those are fantastic. I wrote those down. Um, people, purpose, place, perseverance, and presence. And the metacognition is is a fancy word for presence or or for awareness of our own thinking. Right? It sounds yes. like yeah. Um, so and and do you develop that presence through? I, I know it's all related. Again, that they're not all entirely compartmented. Uh, five P's, if you will. But is it through people? Is it is it through therapy? How do you develop that that metacognition or that awareness of your own thinking? Well, I actually wrote an article um, about a year ago called the the four P's of mental recovery. It's in the Psychiatric Times, and it was a pretty good article. And one of my sons read it, and he said, "Hey, you're missing a P." to mm. be present so he kind of <laughs> taught it to me okay. and so from then on i included the fifth p presence and Got i've it. talked about it to uh, my psychiatrist and my therapist and my mm -hmm. wife who is like you know really like a battle buddy so we've talked yeah. about it in depth and then i talked to my friends so all mm. my friends know that i live with bipolar disorder and i've yeah. told them here are the basic symptoms of bipolar disorder. If you see me displaying yeah. these symptoms, let me know, let Maggie know, because I probably need to take some action. Mm -hmm. And so I've talked to a lot of them about presence too, and uh, mm -hmm. they all agree. And so, yeah. you know, we have conversations about this stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, that's great. And I'm just so glad that, you know, the military... I'm glad you're getting your story out there. And, 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 you know, I worked for the Department of Defense for 14 years after I was um, in the military. There was some overlap there as well. But, you know, early on in my own career, which I know was later than the beginnings of your career, the Department of Defense was not willing to talk about these issues. Uh, it was really, it was just frowned upon to even discuss. And you'd probably just be kind of, tossed to the the wayside um so i i think it's fantastic that not only you're getting your story out there but just that there's a larger conversation happening now and i think it's more important than ever that we have these conversations especially with frankly what the the, the shutdown of the pandemic the impact that had on a lot of people and especially you know social media with teenagers and um just a lot of uh a lot of factors i think that have played into what i think is an increase in mental health health uh issues that we're facing as a as a society um what have you noticed over i i guess changes on a i guess macro scale over the last say 30 years with regard to the the discussion uh, around mental health i would say that it's come a long way and it's become more normalized and mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you some examples um i think the vietnam generation taught us all about ptsd which is a huge challenge and a, and a huge sure. issue but prior to the vietnam generation i don't think people were aware of what ptsd was mm -hmm. and then when we hit the 911 wars you know iraq afghanistan mm -hmm. I think the military and the civilian society already were pretty pretty good about understanding PTSD. And mm -hmm. I think we knew how to deal with it and people were allowed to continue to serve and there was a pretty open discussion about it. But mm -hmm. it took a little while before you had the same results with depression. 
which is the most sure. common mental illness. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so many people are afflicted with depression. Mm-hmm. That took a little while. That took a number of years before the military and I think civilian society um, really came to grips with depression and, mm-hmm. and started um, allowing people to continue in their jobs and continue mm-hmm. in the military. And sure. then in rapid succession, you went from PTSD and depression to mm-hmm. then you had uh, traumatic brain injuries, which are not mm-hmm. a mental illness, but they mm-hmm. result in symptoms that are like mental illness. Mm-hmm. So you had traumatic mm-hmm. brain injuries. That took a while to kind of get get grips on. Then you had uh, moral injury. Then you had mm-hmm. survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would say that bipolar disorder is lagging behind. It's... it's uh, you know, mm-hmm. for years and years that if you had bipolar disorder, you would be medically boarded out of the military. Mm. What's interesting is now, just in the last several months, I've talked to half a dozen uh, military people, both uniformed and civilian, who they, uh, when they were coming up for uh, security clearance, and they had to fill everything out. Mm-hmm. Um, they put bipolar disorder type two, mm-hmm. and they, they were cleared for security clearances. So mm-hmm. there's an understanding that uh, bipolar disorder type two should mm-hmm. not be a crippling um, service prohibiting condition. Sure. So bipolar disorder type one, which is what I have, mm-hmm. which is, you know, more mania, uh, yeah. which is the really dangerous condition with depression. That one is pretty much still you're, you're medically boarded out of, out of the I military. Gotcha. Um, but, I think we've come a pretty good way. We have a way to go. We've pushed a lot of the services for mental health down to lower and lower levels to where you now have mental health professionals in down at the battalion level. And, mm. and that's a battalion's about 500 troops. So it's a mm-hmm. pretty low tactical level. I mean, you yeah. never had that before. You didn't no. have mental health. It was way up in a big hospital, you know, yeah. above the division level. Um, right. So, so that's a that's a good thing. Um, there, uh, the, the service members are getting more and more training in what the basic symptoms of the most common mental illnesses, what mm. they look like, so mm. they can spot it. And mm. you know, we have a, a a battle buddy system or peer support system, and so they're supposed to talk to each other if they notice problems. And then if they if there is a problem, they should go in and see a mental health professional. And it doesn't necessarily go in their official records. So you can you can get help and treatment at a low level and it stays mm-hmm. private without going up the chain of command. So I yeah. think there's some good things happening. Absolutely. No, that's a lot of progress you just detailed. That's yeah, because that was always a fear for a lot of people is that if this gets documented. It's going to ruin ruin my career, and that what does that do for my family's well being? And you know, uh, that, that, so I can't talk about it, or I can't actually share that. Um, so yeah, that's that's very good uh, progress for sure. So what would you say are the biggest? I mean, there's a ton. Like I mentioned earlier, there's. It, I know we've come a long way with our understanding of how to diagnose these things. And I say our, our, like I'm a doctor, but um, just as a community, we've certainly made a lot of progress in understanding what we're actually, let's just talk about bipolar disorder 
specifically. Um, what are the gaping holes with, you know, what, what progress needs to be made? What do we not understand? Uh, and what needs to be changed or, you know, where should we focus as a, as a society with regard to resources and learning more? Well, the scientific and medical community are working day and night to try to find ways to detect bipolar disorder before it manifests itself and, and, and the person suffers severe symptoms, oftentimes at the cost of their family, their marriage, their career, their finances, the, you know, addictions, incarceration, and death. So I, I feel like the medical community and the scientists are really working hard at this. They could always use yeah. more funding. And, sure. and so that's something that I think we could we could work on. But sure. the biggest problem in my mind is the stigma, mm. which is based on ignorance. I mean, people still mm -hmm. believe that mental illness is not real, that mm -hmm. it's a, just a character flaw or a lack of willpower. They, mm -hmm. they are unaware that it is physiologically real inside yeah. the wiring of the brain. Mm -hmm. and, and so they deny that based on ignorance. That mm -hmm. perpetuates the stigma, which leads people who need help, leads them to shame, embarrassment, reluctance to go get help, to go get, di to, to go get diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And so what people have to realize is mental illness is just as physiologically real as cancer, diabetes, heart disease. And there's no mm -hmm. stigma against people that have those conditions. In fact, yeah. you recognize there's a problem, you go get diagnosed, and then you get undergo the treatment. And generally, right. you get better. I mean, the thing yeah. about mental, the thing about mental illness is the bad news is what I just said. It can ruin your life. The good news is that if diagnosed and treated properly, you yeah. can live a happy, healthy, purposeful yeah. life. And, and so I, I really believe it's stigma and the way we're going to get yeah. around that is through education. No, that's great. And, and like, yeah, absolutely. And just the, the general awareness of the people in, you know, the the lives of the people who have this have this illness is huge so i can speak for in our family we're now much more aware of what to look for like you were talking about earlier with your the people you've intentionally surrounded yourself with you know not saying we're not going to have any other issues or anything like that but we're much better prepared now as to what we're looking for and i think we're, we're much we'll be much quicker to deal with any major issues in the future which is so comforting you know and it's so it gives so much hope like you said to not only for the family but for the person who's going through this um so that's i couldn't agree more that's that's great so one thing i'll say is um you know when we were first dealing with this i was so wrapped up in um trying to understand the diagnosis i'm curious to get your thoughts on this um because you know, the way my, my logical brain works, I guess, is, well, if it's this diagnosis, then you take this medication and then it gets better. And then, it, and whereas a lot of the doctors, the psychiatrists we were dealing with, they didn't seem quite as concerned. I'm not saying they weren't trying to diagnose things accurately, but they didn't seem quite as wrapped up in, in the actual diagnosis as I was, because it almost seemed like, well, there's a good bit of trial and error as far as how to address uh, some of these issues. Um, and that's where 
to me, that was very frustrating at first, but then I realized, well, these are the experts and, you know, we just have to kind of have faith and continue, you know, try different things. What would you say with regard to how important is the diagnosis? I know you're not a a medical doctor, but you have firsthand experience with a lot of this. Um, How important is the actual diagnosis with regard to mental health uh, conditions? Absolutely critical. You know, think of um, when there's something wrong with your car and you bring it into the shop. Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't know what to fix or how to fix it until they Mm -hmm. diagnose what the problem is, whether it's Mm -hmm. something in the engine or something in the alignment or something in the brakes. Um, Well, it's even it's more so with the human brain. And it's Mm -hmm. much more complex than, you know, a, a car or something. But they have to come. They have to figure out. Mm-hmm. What is the problem? And then yeah. they can begin to solve the problem. And the problem with you know mental illness is it's oftentimes very difficult to distinguish between is it bipolar disorder? Is it just plain depression? Mm-hmm. Is it yeah. PTSD? Is it ADHD? What what is it? Like my son right. who has he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in high school and he's Mm -hmm. 40 now. And he was Mm -hmm. recently diagnosed again, but during those intervening 20 years, he was Mm -hmm. diagnosed with, you know, four or five other things, not, but not bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. And it was only recently when he underwent, you know, not only two, he had two different psychiatrists, a a psychotherapist, and he went to a neurologist. It was only Mm -hmm. then that they were able to really pinpoint, yes, Mm -hmm. you have bipolar disorder, which was the first time in 20 years. And so now they're treating him with Mm -hmm. the right medication and the right therapy for the condition that he has. Yeah. So I'd say it's critical. Sure. Got it. No, and I just, unfortunately, and again, I'm not trying to be uh, too negative on the medical community here, but I do think that's why a lot of people maybe give up or just... um, that's where you need perseverance, like you said, but, um, you know, just, you get so many conflicting opinions and trying to find the, the expert and trying to find that kind of maybe not final, but, um, accurate diagnosis is, is so important, but it's, it's, it's not always easy. I can, I can say that. (laughs) Um, so, and, and, you know, and that's where, but the reality is actually, that's what, that's what kind of gets back to one of the themes of our show here, which is my podcast here, which is taking ownership of your life and taking ownership of your situation. And the reality is, yeah, it would be great if, if the doctors figured it all out and got me fixed tomorrow. But the fact is, even if it's not your fault that this happened to you, and I'm just speaking to you, but it's for all of us, it's still your your issue to solve, right? And so it doesn't mean you're all alone. I'm not saying that, but you know, the the listener out there, we all need to take control and take ownership of our situation, whether we cause this this adversity that we're going through or not, it's what we're dealing with. So you do have you you it is on you really to kind of navigate that that process and get to the bottom of of you know what that diagnosis is. And it's going to require perseverance, patience, you know, there's progress being made. Like you said, the doctors, they're working nonstop to, to, you know, b- get more educated on, on all of this. Um, well, w- one more quick question on, on bipolar disorder. 
do you think it can, because I've heard different opinions on this. Is it, is it definitely permanent or can it go away? Well, I've been taught that it's at this point with the medical technology that it's pretty much permanent. So my expectation and what I've been taught is that I will have bipolar disorder in my brain until the day I die. And I have to manage it like any other chronic disease, like how someone manages diabetes. Now, will there come a time when there is some sort of medication that can cure bipolar disorder? There's none there right now. But again, the medical community is working on it. And I believe uh, that there probably will come a time. Mm, That's Um, a great answer. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting. People with bipolar disorder, uh, they 70% suffer a relapse, which Mm. is really bad. Uh, Oftentimes, the relapses are worse than the initial onset. Mm. Mm. Um, But 30% don't suffer a relapse, Mm. which means they're pretty much managing their bipolar disorder at a steady state. So it's Mm -hmm. their moods are within a reasonable band, not too high, not too low. Um, And and just the fact that you can get there the way I've been for seven years um, gives me great hope. Absolutely. I love that. That's that's a great way to answer it. It's there's no reason in the future there couldn't be uh, a cure. Um, But there's still hope even even without that cure. There's still hope to manage the condition, even if it is permanent. so that's great. I love that. Um, all right. I've got a, some rapid fire questions. You ready for those? Yes. What is one thing that people misunderstand about you, Greg? That I'm a regular, normal guy who has been greatly helped in many ways by my bipolar brain. It helped me until it went too high, and then it hurt me. And now, even though I still have severe bipolar disorder in my brain, I'm a pretty normal person living a normal, healthy life because it's contained and managed. Love that. Looking back, this could be either professional or personal, but what is one of your biggest failures or regrets? Just something you'd prefer to have a a do-over with. I wish I had somehow been aware that I had gone into full-blown mania, but I didn't because I felt so good. It's like you're on the the greatest drug high in the world. And mm-hmm. so I had no idea that I had gone into full-blown mania. Mm-hmm. If I had had some awareness and then was able to take action and maybe get on lithium much sooner... Yeah. I would have avoided a lot of pain and hardship. On, yeah. the, on the other side of the coin, I wish I had been able to get on some kind of medication when I was going through two years of bipolar hell, primarily depression and psychosis. You know, I wish I had gotten on some medication and there had been some awareness in the medical people on how to treat me. They they really didn't. They they just they yeah. struck out and didn't treat me correctly. I wish that I had had because I could have saved a lot of pain for me, my family, and recovered a lot sooner. 
Well, I, I wish that for you as well, but you're also now getting bringing such awareness to others, which is going to be such a benefit for them. So through your adversity, we're, we're all being blessed. So we appreciate that. Um, if you could go back and give your 18-year-old self some advice, what would that be? Anything that we haven't touched on already? Yes, it's the same advice my mother gave me when I was 18. She said, Greg, I'm worried about you. You don't get enough sleep. You drink too much alcohol. And you take your job way too seriously. Mm. These three things are going to kill you Mm. or make you sick. And that combination of those three, I'm sure, played significant roles in triggering and propelling my bipolar disorder. So Mm. mom was right. (laughs) (laughs) They they usually are. Um, If you could give, if you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose? I would really like to uh, talk to Teddy Roosevelt because Mm. most people who really look at him and study his life and his behavior and his, mm-hmm. his writings and his diaries and his letters come to the conclusion that he had pretty serious bipolar disorder. And, mm. but, but, so, but when you look at a list of the ma- most famous people with bipolar disorder, oftentimes he's not on there. I'm not mm. sure why. And then sometimes he is, but I would, I would like to have a conversation and, and really get into his behavior, which was pretty extreme, and uh, sure. and, and, and and sort of see for myself. Yeah, that's a great answer. If you were given ten million dollars tomorrow, what would you do with it? Well, I'd pay off all of our bills. I would probably set aside something so that you know my own family and children and wife were you know pretty secure financially for their own future and then i think i would donate it to bipolar and brain research hmm. um you know there are foundations and associations around the mm-hmm. world that this is what they do this is what they focus on because mm-hmm. it's been such a you know close and personal part of my life that i would like yeah. to make a difference and you know several million dollars could make a huge difference in the research. Sure, absolutely. So you mentioned your wife and, you know, I don't know how specific you want to get, but obviously this, you're, the, what you've been dealing with specifically in the last 17, 18 years has, uh, I'm sure, had a major impact on her uh, and the rest of your family. How has everything, this isn't part of my rapid fire questions, but <laughs> how, has, how has all of this impacted your family? Um, I'd say it's been pretty rough um, to see me, you know, so successful and then go into this, you know, insane madness and then the horrible depression with psychosis, which is pretty scary for everybody. I think it really shook them up. It disrupted the family. It, you know, threw a monkey wrench into everything, um, shook people's confidence. you know, fortunately, everybody stuck with me. Nobody, you know, abandoned me or walked away. And yeah. my wife, it's interesting. We just talked about the five P's. Um, she writes a piece in uh, in the book. There's a family piece. So my three okay. sons and my wife have a piece in the book. 
And she talks about uh, the P word, perseverance, that when I was in really bad shape, that she just kept persevering one day at a time, one foot in front of the other, never giving up. And she said the reason, the big reason that kept her going was that I never gave up hope, Hmm. that I kept persevering, kept fighting, kept trying to get better, even though it was a long, slow, uneven process. Sure. But that uh, your own perseverance can add to someone else's and you play off of each other's strengths and hope there. That's wonderful. Um, What is a, well, before we dive into the book, do you have another book besides your own that you could recommend uh, for our listeners, either on mental health or, or the military or any, anything, any topic? Um, Yes. Uh, The first book I would recommend is it's called a first rate madness. Uncovering the links between leadership and mental illness. Hmm. And it's written by a professor of psychiatry at Tufts University called uh, named Nasir, N-A-S-S-I-R, Gami, G-H-A-E-M-I. It is an absolutely fascinating book that looks at these historic world leaders and tracks them in terms of brain health, mental illness. And he comes to the conclusion that these big leaders with um, pretty serious to severe mental illness uh, tend to be better crisis leaders, but Mm. not as good during routine peacetime. And Mm. people with a quote-unquote normal brain tend to do better in normal times, but Mm. not as well during crisis. And there's all kinds of examples. The one I'll just give that's most notable is probably uh, Winston Churchill, who had severe bipolar disorder. They called it manic depressive illness back in those days. But he mm-hmm. was a phenomenal wartime leader. and mm-hmm. But he wasn't so good when there wasn't a war mm-hmm. going on. And uh, and so and I wor- I've worked with Professor Gamey, who has really helped mm-hmm. me understand myself. But that's one. Uh, mm-hmm. There's another one. We've been talking about bipolar disorder, and I have type 1. Mm-hmm. There's another uh, really good book recently written. Uh, it's called Brainstorm. Um, from, from, uh, it's about, it's called brainstorm Mm -hmm. from, uh, I can look it up for us. Something in her name. Her name is Sarah S A R A Schley Schley S C H L E Y. But Sarah's book, um, goes into great depth about bipolar disorder type two, which is very low level mania in a lot of depression. And uh, very tough to diagnose. Bipolar one is much more easy to diagnose because of the spikes into mania. Mm-hmm. And Sarah's book is good because it covers the other end of the bipolar spectrum, mm. which is is that generally more more common but harder to diagnose. You're saying? I think so. Yeah. There's another. Uh, uh, it's not a book. It's a website that's called Psych Education, and it's Doctor James Phelps. P-H-E-L-P-S. And it takes about 35 minutes to go through the the modules of psych education. And it is brilliant in its Mm. explanation of uh, mood disorders. That's great. And Sarah's book is Brainstorm from Broken to Blessed on the Bipolar Spectrum. So I'll have to check that out. Um, And the one I mentioned is called Brain Energy, um, which is... uh, 
It, it was fascinating to me as well. It's a little bit controversial because a lot of what people took away from it largely was that everybody should do the keto diet and that fixes everything. And that's not at all what he says. He says that he has had some success with the keto diet with certain patients and that that can help in a lot of cases, but he absolutely believes in medication and sort sort of more of the, I guess, traditional medical approach to addressing mental illness. So that illness, that's another one that I'll throw in there as well. But let's talk about your book before we get out of here. So uh, Bipolar General, My Forever War with Mental Illness. Um, can you dive into the book a little bit for us? Yeah, um, I would say that the book goes into much greater depth and detail um, on all the things that I've already talked about. But it, you know, it tells the story of, you know, my life from, uh, you know, probably teenage high school years all the way through to um, into my journey of recovery. So it covers all of that. You know, it goes into my service in the military my success, which was, you know, really, really high success. I got top ratings, my whole army career, made it to two-star general, had very prestigious jobs, was a successful brigade commander in combat, um, you know, married for 40 years, three kids, talked about the marathons, talked about the degrees from MIT. So very, very successful career and life of service. So I, I talk about that. And then I talk in depth about my mental health crisis, you know, my, you know, the onset in Iraq, then the intense, crazy mania interspersed with deep, crippling, hopeless depression, and then ultimately, uh, you know, terrifying psychosis of my, you know, continuous visions, hallucinations of my own bloody, violent death in prison. And that just plagued me. And I had other uh, hallucinations of this invisible force that would throw me underneath a, a rapidly moving 18 wheeler truck. And then I'd see my arms and legs and head go flying out. Uh, or if I was driving in a car, the invisible force would grab my, my hands and turn the wheel into an oncoming truck. And those are actually called passive suicidal ideations. Mm. So I talk all about those. I talk about the many, many episodes of mania and depression, the two years of bipolar hell, as I call it, um, and then the beginning of my turnaround, which was the inpatient um, stint at the VA hospital psychiatric ward, You know what that was like, what it did for me, how it helped me, how it kind of put me in a little bit more of a steady state, even though it was still five more months before we tried lithium. And then with lithium, my symptoms, you know, pretty much vanished. And the lithium built like a ceiling above me and a floor below me. So if mm -hmm. my brain wanted to go into mania, it couldn't because it would bump into the, the, the ceiling. If it mm -hmm. wanted to go into depression, it couldn't because it had hit the, the floor. Mm -hmm. And then the move to Florida, then how I really rebuilt my life, you know, built a, a whole new life. And then I go into a lot of lessons learned and recommendations, you know, for both the military and the civilian world. 
And uh, it's really important to talk, you know, the, it's much bigger than the military because virtually yeah. 100% of the global population is somehow touched by mental illness. About mm. 20% are afflicted with mental illness, like mm. right now. And the mm. other 80, by virtue of being family, friend, colleague, are touched or affected by it so everybody mm -hmm. is touched and sure. um and so i talk i talk about that and uh and then i have a really good uh epilogue by uh, a, a guy who helped the chairman of the joint chiefs with his investigation of me and whether he should keep me in mm. the job and so it's a really brutal epilogue that mm. pulls a lot of things together and then there's the family appendix which is really interesting so that's pretty much that's it that's yeah. the book in a nutshell no that's fantastic i actually just pre-ordered it while you were while you were doing that <laughs> so uh, i have a i think it comes out it'll it'll be out but when this episode is released so i i'll uh i, I can't wait to read it so i'm excited you know, one thing I, I found out this weekend that the people who have pre-ordered their books are arriving. So okay. I heard from three different people. They said, hey, my book got here. And they pre-ordered so, it a while ago. Interesting you say that. So I, I just put a book out. It, it's not, it's, we didn't really do the, the, the plan, the, the launch very well. And it's, to be honest with you, I, I'm kind of fumbling through the whole Amazon KDP thing. And we thought we were doing a pre-order, you know, for for a month. And then all of a sudden, Wait a minute! I actually published this thing. Oh, you can get it now. So yeah, I, I'm learning as I go, and maybe my second book will be. The, the book is great, but the process was um, there's room for improvement. But uh, okay, so maybe I'll get the hard copy here in a, in a day or two. That'll be great. Um, what uh, besides we uh, before we ask you where our listeners can find you online, Greg? Is there anything we have not covered that you would like to? Um, yeah, there's one thing, uh, you know, there's always hope. Don't give up hope. Hope is your oxygen that helps you keep going. And, and touching back to the stigma piece, um, there's a great example of how we can overcome stigma as a society. If you go back to the 1970s, women with breast cancer were stigmatized. They were ashamed, mm -hmm. embarrassed. They kept it in the closet until mm -hmm. Betty Ford started talking openly about it. And she was President Ford's you know, wife, first lady. And uh, she started talking about it. And pretty soon it became normalized. And now, 50 years later, breast cancer, women with breast cancer are celebrated as heroic figures battling mm -hmm. this terrible disease. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the NFL wears pink shoes and pink ribbons. Mm -hmm. So yep. if we could do that for breast cancer, we can do it for mental illness. 100%. That's that's great. I love that about, about never give up hope. Um, that's fantastic. Well, Greg, where can our listeners uh, find you online? Uh, they can go to my website, uh, bipolargeneral.com so that's my my newest it goes to the same place if you use www.generalgregmartin.com they both go to the same place but bipolar general is easier to remember and it's uh catchier and greg has two g's three g's two at the end yes right fantastic this has been great go ahead I'll also give my uh, email address if somebody sure. wants to send me an email. It's uh, gregmartin79 at gmail.com. Fantastic. Greg Martin, this has been 
Very good. This has been very informative. Um, it's, uh, you know, it just like I feel for uh, all of our guests, I'm sorry that they've been through any type of adversity, but the reality is that you've, you've rebounded, you've recovered, you've, and you've learned a ton through all this that you're now sharing with the rest of us. And we're all able to benefit from, from your story and the fact that you're willing to be vulnerable and um, open about what you've personally been through. Um, and again, thank you for your uh, awesome service. You're long and, and, uh, and, and just, I mean, we, there's just so much we didn't cover with regard to your military service. That'll be episode two when we bring you back, but thank you so okay. much for spending your time with us. We really appreciate it, sir. Yeah. And I I'd love to come back and do one focused on military. Cause there's a lot to talk about there, but uh, Jamie, thank you so much. It's been really an honor, a privilege to be on with you. And thanks to all your listeners for being on and listening. Appreciate that. And yes, thank you to the listeners. We appreciate you and we appreciate that you're choosing to spend your time with us since that is your most valuable resource. Thanks everyone. Take care. Investors, have you ever experienced challenging communication or the headache of tracking taxes and insurance? Meet BiFi, a loan servicing company founded by investors for investors. With an expert team and best-in-class vendors, BiFi will partner with you to service your loan from start to exit. Visit BiFiLS.com to see how you can get started today. That's B-I-F-I-L-S.com. Thank you for spending your most valuable resource with us, your time. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and fellow podcast listeners. One entrepreneur at a time, we can change the world. See you next time. Hey there, it's Jamie Bateman. Ever felt boxed in by life's challenges? Dive into my new book, From Adversity to Abundance, Inspiring Stories of Mental, Physical, and Financial Transformation, available now on Amazon. From a former bank robber's redemption to a young entrepreneur's victory over hurdles, these stories are not just inspiration. They're the roadmaps to your transformation. Whether for you or as a powerful gift to friends and family, especially those who might not tune into podcasts, this book is a beacon to a life of abundance. Ignite that inner fire and set your course to the life you've imagined. Purchase yours today on Amazon and light the path for someone you love.